Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is the Faith Radio Network. If you missed the first hour, you can always grab the podcast at myfaithradio.com. You should subscribe to the podcast wherever you um, get your podcast, because when you do that, you're also going to get the show notes for every day, which includes all the links to the articles that we discuss every hour, every day. Um, All right. I want to talk this morning just briefly here about your media diet. Mm -hmm. What's in your media diet? And is your media diet balanced and nutritious? Or, you know, frankly, is it just junk food? Mm-hmm. So think a little bit about your media media diet and the wisdom pyramid that we talked about some time ago in terms of constructing a media diet. I want you to think about Ezekiel chapter 3, where God says to Ezekiel, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, and then go and speak to the house of Israel. Uh, Ezekiel opens his mouth and eats the scroll. What he's ingesting there and digesting there is the very word of God. So let's be sure that first and foremost in our media diet today is the word of God. And then as a part of that, are you staying hydrated? Are you drinking lots of living water? John chapter four might be the place in scripture where you want to turn when you think about the living water and being filled with the living water Um, of Jesus Christ. So there you go. Healthy, balanced, nutritious, hydrated media diet for the Christian today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. Our favorites is back. Dr. Brett Nix is here from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Good morning, good doctor. Good morning, Carmen. How are you this morning? Well, I am well. Um, it all things summer and particularly maybe how to protect ourselves against something as awful as heat stroke. Yeah, boy, I tell you, it's something that uh, comes this time of year. And if we're not ready for it, things can happen. And uh, unfortunately, I'm the person you don't want to see on those days. So let's talk about heat and let's talk about what's going on this week. We see not only high temperatures, but we see this heat index climbing and climbing in areas that have high humidity. So how do you protect yourself? Well, the first thing is if you have to be outside when the heat index is over 100 or approaching 100, make sure that you do it early in the morning before it's hot or do it later in the evening. If you have a pet that needs to be walked or otherwise, be aware of that. But if you're one that has to be outside, recognize the normal things that hold true. First of all, make sure that you're incredibly well hydrated. 
Make sure that your body is covered appropriately with sunscreen and appropriate protective uh, gear, especially if you're one who labors outside. Maybe you're somebody who works on the power lines or does different types of things outside. Uh, recognize that too often we wait until we feel thirsty before we think that we're dehydrated. And by then you're already two or three liters down. You mentioned heat stroke. And again, if you're outside for an extended duration of time, maybe it's associated with a family outing. Maybe you're going outside and uh, you have to do some work around your house. Take breaks intermittently. Go inside if you have access to air conditioning. If you're working outside, go in your car, turn on your car, use your air conditioning. Because what we don't want is for the typical things where all of a sudden uh, you start to feel dizzy, you start to feel palpitations, you might have confusion. Uh, it doesn't take very long for somebody to go from heat exposure to heat exhaustion to heat stroke. Okay, so um, I like that uh, you're already two to three quarts low by the time you feel thirsty. Um, that's like checking. That's like checking the oil. That's exactly right. And here's the thing: if you're outside and you are exercising or you're doing physical labor, at minimum you need to be drinking a liter an hour, and that probably won't even be enough to keep up if you're looking at high temperatures in the 90s up to 100 plus. If you have humidity because your body's ability to adapt uh, and to cool with humidity is very, very limited. Okay, and then if I am with someone and they are dizzy or they're a little bit confused, um, what do I do? What is my, you know, what what is my come alongside, get my friend help kind of thing? Yeah, the most important thing we can possibly do is to get them out of the elements. If they're in the sun, get them in the shade. If you can get them from outside to inside in a cooler environment, even better because their body continues to have effect from the heat. So direct sun uh, into shade, shade indoors to air conditioning is the best thing you can possibly do. If they remain confused, obviously you're gonna be calling 911 because believe it or not, heat stroke is a, a brain's adaptive process. Is it the same type of stroke that we think of with uh, a blood vessel being blocked or a bleed? No, not necessarily, but it's affecting the brain in the same process. And so by cooling them, you can see an immediate turnaround. Now, the, the piece here that we have to remember is you have to know if they have underlying medical issues as well. If they have diabetes, obviously, maybe this is a sugar issue and it's not a heat issue. Uh, if they're older or extremes of age, young children or older adults, uh, they could be on medications that limit their body's ability to adapt. Uh, and again, dehydration is a big piece of this as well. So if they're awake enough to participate and to engage, get them indoors, hydrate them, cool them off as quickly as possible. All right. So helpful. Um, all right. We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix about a range of headlines. You can find um, some of the things we're discussing at cmda.org. Um, all right. There's some other there's some other headlines here that I found interesting and wanted to ask you about. There's um, there's some advances in relationship to kidney transplants. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Boy, this thing called dual immune solid organ transplant. And you know, the challenges we have is we have really over 100,000 transplants per year, and that's just in the kidneys, those who are waiting for the coming years. And the challenge with transplants is you're getting an organ from someone else's body, and your body's natural immune system says, hey, I don't recognize you, so I'm going to attack it. And so what we have to do in these transplant patients is put them on medications that softens their immune system so that they don't recognize the foreign kidney, as it would be in this circumstance. Uh, however, this dual immune solid organ transplant therapy does not just the transplant, but then also does stem cell transplants. And in doing so, what you're doing is you're doing a dual immune therapy such that the body then doesn't see the kidney as something that's foreign. Uh, 
Uh, and so in doing so, what you're doing is if this works and there are small cases, very, very small numbers, and actually right now is focused in a unique uh, pediatric or child population uh, that has shown that by doing this stem cell transplant with the kidney transplant, they don't have to be on immune suppressants. That is an amazing, amazing transformation. It's early, but it's promising because if you can imagine not just having a transplant, but not having to be on immune suppressants, no longer are you at the same risk for having infections and having to be on these medications that are not just positive for the kidney, but very negative on the immune system. This could be something that is absolutely transformational when it comes to transplants in the future. All right. And then something that we discussed a couple of weeks ago, but it seems like we ought to at least touch on. It seems that monkeypox uh, symptoms or cases are actually ballooning across the United States. So what do we need to know about the monkeypox? Well, I don't think a lot has changed other than it's growing. Uh, more than 75 cases. And really, we were talking about less than 20 at the beginning of June. Now we're seeing this in over 20 states. Typical things, fever, headache, muscle aches, and of course, your, your lymph nodes start to get swollen. Uh, the rash will start out in the face, move to the body, uh, and then you can start having issues as far as the hands and feet. We talked about it before, however, which is unlike chickenpox, um, monkeypox was very staged. And so everywhere in the body, you would see the, trans the, the transformation from a small, a small rash to a blister to the shedding, the scabbing, and the healing. Well, what we're seeing is just like we've learned with COVID and other things, perhaps this virus has a little bit of a variant associated with it. And so now we're seeing it kind of in all different stages. What does that mean? Nothing different other than number one, it's highly contagious. Number two, if you think that you may have been exposed or have signs of it, talk to your doctor because what we wanna do is to isolate this and not let it spread any further. Are you at risk for death? No, uh, if you look at the data, even historically out of Africa, less than 1% of the patients that ever had it uh, would succumb to death. And most of those were immune compromised with things like HIV or other types of immune compromised illnesses. So nothing new here other than just be aware of it, be mindful of people that have rashes. And if you get one, notify your doctor. All right, we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Dr. Brett Nix. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Whatever you do, just don't look. Picking up where we left off with Dr. Brett Nix. Um, Brett, let's talk about the Christian Medical and Dental Association's press release related to the executive order by the president um, related to LGBTQI plus concerns. Can you tell us what the president, uh, what the president's order says and how CMDA is responding? Sure. You know, one of the challenges that we have right now is trying to balance what we know to be true about uh, the things in health uh, that would that have basically been proven, the processes that we go through, rather than sometimes the challenges that we face with some of the social ideologies related to quality of care and, uh, and different things. And so as you brought forward, President Biden's new executive order claimed to be a safeguard, uh, allowing a focus to prevent youth suicide. And let's take a pause there for just a second. As we know, over the last handful of years, especially with COVID, when you look at children and you look at the youth in isolation out of schools, when you look at the fear associated with uh, COVID that had been propagated in that time, and again, the things we've talked about with the maladies and the challenges with social media, a lot of, a lot of uh, youth have, have issues with, with depression and with increasing rates of suicide that we have seen over the last couple of years. 
The challenge, however, is that the executive order now is starting to push a little bit further in this area. And one of the things that you will have seen within CMDA, the bioethics and public policy, Jeff Burroughs, really just made the claim that the executive order is not protecting children. It's certainly not safeguarding their health care. But instead, what it's doing is it is giving a prescription for medicine that is not based on uh, good science, number one. Number two, it is not based on evidence uh, of proof at this point in time. And really, this gets into this concept that we have been talking about, which is called conversion therapy. And that's one of these challenges that we see with the, the, uh, the executive order is that this conversion therapy process is malaligning an ill-defined term that many times is in this transitory state where you have youth that are in adolescence and coming into teens. Their bodies are going through transformations. They have all different types of hormones, androgens, estrogens, doing all these different types of things. And... Many times they're just trying to figure out who they are. Who are they designed to be? Who have they been created to be? Who has God called them to be? And at the same point in time, what you end up finding is in that process, uh, there's a lot of misinformation around the genetic code that God has given. You know, when you are a young female, understanding what that means. And yes, your better friends are going to be female, but that doesn't mean that you're uh, called into relationship with them in a unnatural or a, a, uh, a non-biological manner. And so what we've ended up finding more than anything else is that the concept around modern sexual orientation, these change allowing therapies uh, have been with the executive order pushing forward to say that it is okay at any age for a young boy or a young girl, if they align with a different sex to go ahead and start to provide hormone based therapies and even surgical interventions uh, that change them and transform them from what they've been created to be into what they perceive to be, and many times this social challenge as it relates to it, can not only create these gender dysphoria issues, but focusing then at that point in time of confusion that leads a lot of these kids into mental health challenges where they have increasing depression, they have increasing rates of suicide, rather than sitting down and having a conversation about the challenges that they're facing. Uh, you know, one of the biggest issues that we have as it relates to this is a lot of information, but a, la a lot of lack of scientific and medical-based information. And so what we're, ch we're challenged with is a social paradigm that is shifting into a medical area that is just not supported. One of the things um, that I think our listeners are going to want to know about this uh, executive order by President Biden um, is that it is designed to urge Congress to pass the Equality Act. It's also designed to um, mobilize all kinds of what the president regards as, quote, overdue civil rights protections um, through every agency of the federal government. I also found really interesting, Brett, and maybe I missed this, but um, this is the first time, I think, in an executive order I have seen the addition of the Q and the I and the plus sign to the LGBT um, acronym. And so in this executive order, um, Americans uh, are addressed uh, as LGBTQI plus. And I always think that it's helpful to identify letters when they are spelled out um, in these acronyms. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, Q uh, can stand for queer or questioning I stands for intersex, and then there is the plus sign to cover any and other uh, gender nonconforming individual um, who might otherwise feel um, left out of the letters LGBTQI. Um, I think this just breeds more confusion, Brett. I don't, I don't think this helps. 
Well, you know, there's no question that gender identity issues are complex. You know, one of the things that we have to recognize more than anything else, though, is we have an obligation to stand up for our patients, let alone our society, and provide ethical and evidence-based care for all of our patients, especially those that are struggling with gender identity, and to do so with a sensitive and compassionate heart. You know, the one thing that people have to understand is CMDA is here to support all people, regardless of where you stand on a based in an ethical nature by which care should be provided. We love all people, regardless of circumstance. And that's the beauty of what uh, the organization stands for. But at the same time, when we look at these complex orders that come out, these are sweeping changes that will dictate regulation and medical treatment that is just not justified at this point in time and puts many people who are on the fringe or feel that they are in society at risk. Very high concern on my end. Yeah, it's a high concern on my end as well. Um, Brett, um, as always, you know, we appreciate your your input and your candor, your willingness to come alongside us in these conversations. Um, I'm wondering if we've got a time to deal maybe very quickly with one more topic, uh, and that's the topic of coffee. Uh, we got plenty of time. Can I have two or three cups of coffee a day? You can. And amazingly enough, I'm glad you lined this up. You mentioned two to three cups a day. Well, guess what? There's actually benefit for your kidney. When you have two to three cups a day, balance that with the normal hydration and normal activity level that most of us would have. Now, typically we think of what coffee is caffeine and that little pick-me-up in the morning might just be enough. But what we have found out is that there are other biochemicals that are associated with coffee, whether it's light roast, dark roast, uh, that actually will benefit you greatly in the area of acute kidney injury. Now, what is that? That is where, for whatever reason, if you get dehydrated, your body's in a stress state, that the function of your kidney, now think of your kidney as a water wheel that spins, it starts to slow down. Your body doesn't like that. We don't like that because our kidney is a processor. So what do we find out about this concept with coffee? Well, in the study, 45 to 64-year-olds that were well hydrated that had two to three cups of coffee per day had a decrease of about 11% in kidney injury. Uh, and what that simply does is they're saying, hey, we believe these secondary biochemicals in, in, in uh, coffee increase the perfusion, which is the oxygen delivery of the kidney. It makes the kidney happy, and therefore, you're at decreasing risk associated with kidney injury. You know what? We just talked about the heat wave that's coming. Make sure that you're hydrated, but keep in mind, maybe two to three cups of coffee might just be a little protection for your kidney as well. I love it. All right, that's Dr. Brett Nix. Uh, Brett, as always, thank you so very much. You can find him at brettnixmd.com and much of what we discussed today at cmda.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Next is uh, Greg Laurie. Greg's got a brand new book coming out, and it is, um, wow, it is on a topic that might surprise you. Have you ever thought about the faith life of rock and rollers? You've ever thought about the faith life of, let's say, John Lennon? Have you ever thought about the way Christ influences the influencers of the culture in terms of rock and roll. There are surprising stories that Greg is going to tell us his personal experiences and encounters with some of the most famous rock and rollers of all time. So next up here on Mornings with Carmen, Greg Laurie.
Thrilled to be joined today by Greg Laurie. Um, you certainly already know him. He needs no introduction to the Faith Radio listening community. Greg, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen, thanks for having me on. Great to be with well, you. It- It's wonderful to talk with you. You know, a lot of folks listening are going to know you from your Harvest Crusades. They're going to know you from your books. They're going to know you from your um, radio program that they listen to here on the Faith Radio Network. Many of them are going to be, I think, surprised and delighted by your new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Let's talk a little bit um, about sort of the inspiration for this book, and then we'll dig into it. Okay, well, here's how I begin the book. I start with this statement. There'll be three surprises when we get to heaven. Number one, some of the people we thought would be there won't be there. Number two, some of the people we never thought would be there will be there. And thirdly, we'll be there, right? So here's the big story of this book. No one is beyond the reach of God. So, you know, rock stars, uh, they are people that many look up to. Many people that have everything that a lot of people dream of having one day, people who've been to the very top of the mountain and they found out for themselves that there's nothing there. And I think we can learn from the lessons of their lives. In a lot of ways, this book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, is like a modern version of the book of Ecclesiastes. Instead of Solomon telling us about the emptiness of life, despite the fact that he had money and power and fame and a lot more, uh, and he needed God. This book is effectively saying the same thing, but I'm exploring the lives of people that you've heard of, maybe people that you're a fan of, and there's some surprises in this book about the spiritual journeys of some of the people in it, people you never thought would become Christians have become Christians. Other people who made a lot of bad choices. I have a chapter called The 27 Club, which is a cautionary tale about so many rock stars who tragically all died, ironically, at the age of 27. Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. Fast forward a little bit. You have Kurt Cobain of Nirvana and Amy Winehouse losing their lives at such an early age because of drug overdoses, in some cases suicide. And so that tells us the emptiness of this pursuit, but there's some amazing stories of redemption that I hope will inspire the reader to keep praying for their son, their daughter, their mom, their dad, their neighbor, their friends, or whoever that person might be. We're talking with Pastor Greg Laurie. We're talking about his brand new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Um, Greg, you highlight there uh, a prayer that we hear very, very frequently, and that is the prayer for the prodigal, the prayer for the child or the grandchild, the prayer for the friend, the neighbor, um, the the niece, the nephew, the cousin, the spouse, um, the person who seems so far gone, the tattoos and the music and the drugs and um, the living so far from the faith. Um, So tell us a story of redemption, because that's really what this is all about, the testimony of the power of God to bring home even those who seem maybe so uh, too far away to be saved. Yes. Well, the first name that comes to mind is on the cover of the book, Alice Cooper. His actual name is Vincent Fernier. He started a rock band in Detroit. Uh, They were called the Spiders and they were having kind of local success. And then later they 
changed their name to Alice Cooper. And actually, Vincent Fernier officially changed his personal name later to Alice Cooper. But they were the forerunners of what we would call shock rock. Other bands that would follow in their footsteps would be like a Kiss, uh, a lot of the hair metal bands, Twisted Sister, even Marilyn Manson. So, you know, Alice Cooper was a forerunner of all of that. At first, it was kind of a joke to him. He was playing a character on stage. But then he started becoming that person. And drugs took his life over. Alcohol took his life over. He, at one point in his career, was the number one rock star in all of the world. And then he just kept going further and further in the wrong direction. His wife, Cheryl, left him, thinking he would surely be another rock star statistic dead of a drug overdose. And it almost looked like Alice was a self-fulfilling prophecy. As he was in a room, as he described to me, where he put up his wife's dresses over the windows so no one would see in. He had a rock of cocaine the size of a softball. He was snorting it with the intention of just going till he stopped and died. And he said he looked in the mirror and saw blood coming out of his eyes. He Mm. told me, I wasn't sure if that was a hallucination or really happening, but I knew I needed to stop. And he called out to God and God heard his prayer. And here's something people don't know about Alice Cooper. He's a son of a pastor and he's the grandson of an evangelist. So he knew what was right. He really was the classic prodigal son. And so that prodigal son came home to the Lord. He reconciled with his wife. He's been clean and sober for over 30 years now. And he talks openly about his faith in Jesus Christ. And and he also shares the gospel with people he tours with. He's given a Bible to Marilyn Manson. And uh, he uses his influence that he has, a sphere of influence, to reach other people. So, man, if a guy like Alice Cooper could have a turnaround. And this guy was at the top of the top. He knew everybody. He knew all those people I mentioned in the 27 Club, he walked into a room at the beginning of his career to hire an agent. And in this room that Alice walked into was Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, and Jimi Hendrix. Can you imagine mm. all those people in one room? And tragically, all of them met in untimely death. But by God's grace, Alice Cooper had his life redeemed. He was the prodigal coming home again. That's amazing. That's one of the stories that you will read in Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll, co-authored by my guest today, Greg Laurie. And yes, we do have some copies to give away. If you'd like to enter the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Picking up where we left off with Pastor Greg Laurie, we're talking about his new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. Um, This really is uh, an incredible journey through the history of the genre of rock and roll, Greg. I mean, you you take us to the gospel roots of rock and roll, and then, uh, you know, at the end of the book, you talk about the glory days. So maybe talk about the beginning and the end, and then we'll fill in some of the spaces in between. Sure, Carmen. Okay, well, it started in really Memphis and originally was called Rockabilly. And it happened in the studio, Sun Studios. Uh, Sam Phillips was the guy who ran that operation. And it started with Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is often called the 
you know, the king of rock and roll. He really was the guy that popularized it. There were others that were doing versions of it prior to Elvis, like Bill Haley and the Comets, Rock Around the Clock, etc. But but Elvis took it to another level. In fact, there's a new movie coming out about Elvis right now. Uh, but so he he was the first guy, and he was followed by others like Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins. In fact, there's a photograph of the four of them at Sun Studios, and they called them the Millionaire Quartet. So these guys became sort of the founders of what later become known as rock and roll. Now, Johnny went on and distinguished himself in country music, but his early songs were more that boom chicka boom, <laughs> as it's described, you know, early rockabilly sound, Jerry Lee Lewis, whole lot of shaking going on, great balls of fire. Carl Perkins wrote Blue Suede Shoes, amazing artist. And so these guys are all Southern boys. It came from abject poverty. Uh, Johnny was out picking cotton in the fields of Arkansas. Uh, Elvis lived in poverty there uh, in, I believe, Tupelo, Mississippi. So these guys were at the bottom of the bottom, but they climbed their way up and they all had roots in the church. And in the end, Johnny Cash returned to his faith and finished very strong. By the way, I've written a whole book on Johnny Cash called mm -hmm. Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon that is now being made into a documentary film. But uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, he's the only surviving member. He's in his 80s. In a recent interview, he talked about his need to turn back to God again. Elvis, a very tormented soul, of course, drug problems, met an early death in his 40s. But he loved to retreat to gospel songs. And, and often late at night, he would go back to his hotel after a show and invite people over and sing gospel music until the early hours of the morning. And, uh, and then Carl Perkins, he became a raging alcoholic and made a recommitment to follow Christ later in his life and serve the Lord to the very end. So these are the guys that started it. Okay, fast forward, the 60s, rock blows up. It becomes gigantic. It's a global thing. Uh, now we start seeing drug overdoses, the 27 Club that I alluded to. And then to the present day, we go through the various phases of it. Of course, we have uh, disco. I don't even call that rock, but disco was in there. We have <laughs> punk rock. We have shock rock. We have new wave. We have grunge. And, and then we kind of come through to the present day. So I explore the lives of a lot of these people that, Ren iconic bands are uh, Roger McGuinn, the leader of the birds. He became a Christian. Richie Furet of Buffalo Springfield, a personal friend of mine, uh, became a Christian and later a pastor. Uh, Carrie Livgren, who wrote uh, Carry On My Wayward Son and Dust in the Wind and was the main guitarist for Kansas. He became a Christian. A lot of people that maybe weren't the top, top names you know of became believers. So no one's beyond the reach of God. And I try to point that out in the book. And listen, Carmen, this would be a great book for any Christian to read. You'll be encouraged by it. But I think it'd be a great book to give to a non-believing friend to read as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely who I have in mind um, when I think about uh, who this book um, can potentially reach and touch in ways that you know my testimony would not. The testimonies from these rockers from you know, the 50s all the way to the present day. Uh, it, it's just an incredible look into the popular music scene and into the lives of individuals there. So it's a real gift. Hey, we're talking with Pastor Greg Laurie. We're talking about a brand new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. We are giving away copies today. 
Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. Um, Greg, you um, obviously like to talk about this. Like you, there's an energy, there's always an energy to talking with you, but you, you have a particular energy about this conversation. Um, this is not information you had to learn. This is a, this is a, a place that you obviously have spent and invested a lot of time. These are people you love. Talk about that because I think that loving people who are, you know, tatted up and doing things that, you know, good Christians don't think are right to do, right? Like rock and roll. All right. So you love them, though. Talk about loving the people that God loves, even when sort of churchy people don't always love those people. Yeah. You know, I've had people ask me, well, why would you put the names of those rock stars next to the name of Jesus? Well, (laughs) if we were living in the first century, we could have a book and we could call it Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus, right? Because Jesus loves sinners. He always had time for sinners. He didn't have a lot of time for Pharisees, but he had time (laughs) for people that needed his help. Like that woman at the well, he went to that spot where she gathered water in the heat of the day and patiently waited until she arrived and told her how to satisfy her inner thirst. People like Zacchaeus, a hated tax collector with no real friends to speak of. And Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' home, and that resulted in the conversion of Zacchaeus. Or how about that woman caught in the act of adultery, thrown before his feet? And they said, the law says she should be stoned. And he, of course, said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Jesus had time for people that were seeking. And a lot of these people that enter into the world of rock or the end of the world of you know, film or whatever, these are, a lot of them are damaged people to start with. Uh, But they're also creative people with a gift given to them by God. There are people that are seeking notoriety. They're seeking fame. They think perhaps that fame will fill the hole in their heart. They think if they have a hit record or if they fill a stadium with people chanting their name or, or they have, you know, Rolls Royce and a yacht and five houses that that will do it. And they find out it won't. And that's why it shouldn't be a shock to us when we hear of people like this, you know, turning to drugs. Uh, Take the drummer from the Foo Fighters most recently, Taylor Hawkins, very successful, very wealthy uh, because of his success with the band. But he just recently died of a drug overdose. And so Mm. this story keeps retelling itself over and over again. And it's just basically the story is people are going to the wrong places to find fulfillment. So The reason I explore these things, Carmen, is because I want to build bridges to uh, my audience. My audience is not just Christians, it's non-Christians too. And, you know, Paul went on Mars Hill in the book of Acts chapter 17 and spoke to the secular Greek philosophers. He took time to check out their culture. Notice they had altars erected to various gods with a small g. He noticed there was one altar erected to the unknown God. He said, hey, everybody, I want to talk to you about the unknown God. He even quoted their secular philosophers to build a bridge to then bring the gospel. That's why I wrote this book. And that's why I do a lot of the things that I do. I'm building a bridge. I'm using the testimonies of these people who've come to faith as a way to start a conversation about Jesus Christ with people. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Greg Laurie is, as you know, the pastor of the Harvest Christian Fellowship Churches. 
Uh, he's also the founder of Harvest Crusades. He's already a best-selling author. This will certainly be a very, very popular um, book. We're thrilled to be featuring it today. Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. Um, Greg, thank you so much. The Lord's blessing on you as you um, walk this out into the world. Uh, I just feel very confident that God's going to use this to reach people who otherwise imagine that, you know what, God wouldn't want me or I'm not reachable or, you know, I've done too many things on too many days that are too unholy. Um, No one, no one is beyond the reach of God's redeeming love in Jesus Christ. And so thank you for bringing us these testimonies of redemption uh, as a way of enabling us to offer the gospel to others. Thank you, Carmen. Thanks for having me on, too. Absolutely. We've got copies available if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, the spiritual biography of rock and roll. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Um, you might be experiencing this as the longest day of the year. Well, really, I mean, it's not really it's not really that the day is any longer. It's that here in the Northern Hemisphere, we have more light on this day than any other day of the year. And so I thought it might be a good opportunity for us to just pause here, to just pause here and talk about the light of the world. Um, let's talk about the one who shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. Let's talk about what God says at the very beginning of, of creation, like right, right out of the box, let there be light. Let's talk about, um, the light that endures in the kingdom of heaven and the way that light is described in, at the end of the book of Revelation. Like we're not going to need a sun or a moon anymore because the very light of Christ is going to emanate everywhere and illuminate everything and everyone. Just consider that for just a moment. There's going to be no darkness, none. Do you think about Jesus that way in terms of his incarnation, in terms of the in breaking reality of who Christ is? Do you think about the Holy Spirit that way, illuminating your heart and your mind? Do you think about um, the light of Christ shining in such a way, in the darkness of our day, shining in such a way that the darkness will never overcome it? And then do you recognize that not only is Jesus the light of the world, but he turns to you and I as his disciples And he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they would see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Where you are, there is light. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit of the living God to illuminate you this day, to light you up? Are you going to go be shiny? That's the way Paul describes Christians. Uh, He describes us as Uh, shining lights in the midst of a perverse generation. That's who we are, and that is what we do. So today, because there is 
like actually substantively more light today, at least for those of us in the northern hemisphere, than there is on any other day. It's a good day um, to think about light. And then to also recognize that tomorrow there's going to be, at least in the northern hemisphere, a little less light. Just a little less light. Really? Really? Well, yes, in terms of the amount of of time that the sun is evident. But Paul um, Perot, my producer and I, we've been talking about the reality that this time of year, um, the light shines on the horizon much earlier than it does um, in other parts of the year. Paul, tell me what the view is on the horizon now at four-ish in the morning when you head this way. Yeah, when I drive in in the morning here in the Twin Cities, in the northeastern corner of the sky, you can see a little bit of glow of the day that's about to come. I get that for like three to four weeks out of the year, and I enjoy it. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is never going to overcome it. What does it look for you and I to be that warm glow on the horizon in someone else's life? What does that look like? You know, um, we get it three or four weeks a year in terms of, or, you know, depending on where we live. Um, And it's a sign of hope and hopefulness and grace and goodness. That's how you and I are intended to shine in the lights of other people today. Like to shine as evidence that God is and God is good. Not We're not trying to blind people, but we are trying to warmly woo them in the direction of the one who is the light of the world. So let Jesus shine in your life today. Spend some time, um, you know, examining what the scriptures have to say about Jesus, who is the light of the world. Spend some time thinking about how God is calling you to be a light bearer. Um, and a and a light in the darkness of a perverse generation. Consider what it means to be the light of the world and let your light so shine before others that others would see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You can catch this rebroadcast or grab the podcast at myfaithradio.com. Have a good day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.